Talkers. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 100. Speak and Destroy is a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica. The first podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. Episode 100, wow. Uh, I first came up with the concept for this podcast in 2016 and started getting the assets together, social media, setting up interviews, assembling podcast equipment, all of that fun stuff. I should be a lot further along than 100 episodes where I consistently getting these episodes finished and edited and polished and put together every week. I'm trying to get better about that all the time. I have been much more consistent in the last year or so. Uh, with a lot more on the way. Uh, and I should say that uh, 100 episodes doesn't include the bonus episodes, which at the moment are available only to Patreon subscribers. A uh, handful of episodes pulled from my interview archives from over the years. People like Randy Blythe from Lamb of God. Uh, two different interviews with Kirk Hammett of Metallica, of course. I have uh, another bonus episode coming with JD from The Sword. There's one with Glenn Danzig. Again, all those are available right now on the Speaking Destroy Patreon. But this is the official episode 100. For this episode, I am joined by a hard rock and heavy metal icon, Mr. D. Snyder of the great Twisted Sister. Now, Twisted Sister, of course, is most well known for We're Not Gonna Take It and I Wanna Rock. But I also talked to D. about Burn in Hell, the great Twisted Sister song featured in Pee-wee's Big Adventure and one of my favorite scenes from that movie. And of course, the Twisted Sister catalog goes much deeper. There are other eras of the band, you know, even before uh, the makeup, when they had that cool denim vest uh, and sunglasses kind of biker phase. There's a lot of great moments in the history of Twisted Sister from over the years. And in recent years, Dee has been making solo albums with Jamie Josta, a Speak and Destroy guest quite early on, a big Metallica fan and obviously a big fan of Twisted Sister and Dee. Uh, those solo albums began with For the Love of Metal in 2018, where Josta came on board as a producer. And more recently, in 2021, Leave a Scar, which continues the collaboration between Dee and Jamie. Leave a Scar features the song I Gotta Rock Again, as well as a song called Time to Choose with George Corpse Grinder Fisher of Cannibal Corpse. In this wide-ranging conversation... Dee tells me about the time back in 1984 when Metallica was playing with Twisted Sister in Europe and Metallica actually headlined over them at a show in Holland. Dee watched the band and rather famously remarked to one of his bandmates that Metallica had, quote, a lot of heart, but they're never going to go anywhere. So in this fun and spirited conversation, we reflected on Twisted Sister versus Manowar and one of my favorite bands, Hanoi Rocks, Twisted Sister versus Mr. Mister on the Howard Stern Show, the time Metallica opened for Twisted Sister in New Jersey in 1983, how they ended up headlining over them in Holland in 1984, the role of Kirk Hammett in the Bay Area thrash scene, the importance of Dave Mustaine in early Metallica, the move he borrowed from the fictitious Sammy Kerr in the 1986 movie Trick or Treat, one of my favorite movies, singing Metal Militia with the band, the famous PMRC hearings, that Pee Wee Herman scene, and a lot more. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about with the PMRC, well, this was an organization back in the 80s that was formed by the wives of several senators, 
most famously Tipper Gore, who was then the wife of Senator Al Gore, who later became the vice president for two terms and lost, air quotes, the presidency to George W. Bush in 2000. The PMRC, which stood for the Parents Music Resource Center, the stated goal of increasing parental control over access children had to music that they classified as violent or drug-related or, uh, you know, too sexually explicit. The PMRC is the organization we have to thank for the parental advisory sticker that is now included on uh, records with uh, explicit language and imagery and so forth. Eventually, those labels extended to video games and TV shows and all of the like. Whatever your opinions are of the uh, labeling system, for better or worse, the PMRC had something that they called the Filthy 15, which was their list of, like, the 15 worst, uh, you know, most egregious, explicit songs. Some of those maybe belonged on that list. Some of them did not. Uh, Let's see, that list included Darling Nikki from Princess Purple Rain which I remember my mom telling my older brother he had to skip when he listened to Purple Rain. Sheena Easton's Sugar Walls, uh, Judas Priest Eat Me Alive, Vanity, Strap On Robbie Baby, which, by the way, it's funny that that's now two, that's Prince and a Prince-affiliated artist. Motley Crue's Bastard from Shout at the Devil, ACDC's Let Me Put My Love Into You. Notice the theme, by the way, these are all sexually suggestive. Madonna's Dress You Up. Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it. Wasps, Animal, Deaf Leopards, High and Dry, Merciful Fate, Into the Coven, which uh, Metallica connection there, of course, is that Into the Coven is one of the Fate songs included in the Merciful Fate medley on Garage Inc. Black Sabbath, Trashed, which is a uh, pretty random choice, considering <laughs> that's a 1983 Black Sabbath song that doesn't feature either Ozzy Osbourne or... Ronnie James Dio. Mary Jane Girls, In My House, which is a song uh, written and arranged by Rick James, or recorded by the uh, girl group, the Mary Jane Girls. Venom Possessed, which was released on April Fool's Day in 1985, funnily enough. And uh, Cindy Lauper's Shebop, which was a song, a big pop hit about self-pleasure. So, yeah, the Filthy filthy 15, were those songs that uh, should have been banned? Did they all deserve that explicit language sticker? Well, Dee certainly had an opinion about that. And along with the late Frank Frank Zappa actually spoke before a Senate committee, the PMRC hearings. And as one YouTube commenter pointed out to a fairly recent upload of that entire video that Twisted Sister put out there, you can hear folks laughing when D walks in with his big hair and his uh, sleeveless t-shirt and sleeveless denim vest and sunglasses. And then by the time the questions start coming in after D's prepared statement, that uh, ridicule has turned to hostility. Uh, they just weren't prepared for how articulate and passionate and kick-ass D was going to be. So before we jump into this interview with D Snyder, for the 100th episode of Speaking Destroy, I want to play you a little clip of Dee Snyder addressing the Congress people who were going after heavy metal, rap, and pop music at that time back in the 80s. So we're going to hear that clip, 
And then we're going to go right into Speaking Destroy episode 100 with the great D. Snyder of Twisted Sister. Since I seem to be the only person addressing this committee today who has been a direct target of accusations from the presumably responsible PMRC, I would like to use this occasion to speak on a more personal note and show just how unfair the whole concept of lyrical interpretation and judgment can be and how many times this can amount to little more than character assassination. I have taken the liberty of distributing to you material and lyrics pertaining to these accusations. There were three attacks in particular which I would like to address. Accusation number one. This attack was contained in an article written by Tipper Gore, which was given the form of a full page in my hometown newspaper on Long Island. In this article, Ms. Gore claimed that one of my songs, Under the Blade, had lyrics encouraging sadomasochism, bondage, and rape. The lyrics she quoted have absolutely nothing to do with these topics. On the contrary, the words in question are about surgery and the fear that it instills in people. Furthermore, the reader of this article is led to believe that the three lines she quotes go together in the song, when as you can see from reading the lyrics, the first two lines she cites are an edited phrase from the second verse, and the third line is a misquote of a line from the chorus. That the writer could misquote me is curious, since we make it a point to print all our lyrics on the inner sleeve of every album. As the creator of Under the Blade, I can say categorically that the only sadomasochism, bondage, and rape in this song is in the mind of Ms. Gore. Accusation number two. The PMRC has made, a public, made public a list of 15 of what they feel are some of the most blatant songs lyrically. On this list is our song, We're Not Gonna Take It, upon which has been stowed a V rating indicating violent lyrical content. You'll note from the lyrics before you that there is absolutely no violence of any type either sung about or implied anywhere in the song. Now, it strikes me that the PMRC may have confused our video presentation for this song with the meaning of the lyrics. It's no secret that videos often depict storylines completely unrelated to the lyrics of the song they accompany. The video for We're Not Gonna Take It was simply meant to be a cartoon with human actors playing variations on the Roadrunner Wild E. Coyote theme. Each stunt was selected from my extensive personal collection of cartoons. You'll note when you watch the entire video that after each catastrophe our villain suffers through, in the next sequence he reappears unharmed by any previous attack, no worse for the wear. By the way, I'm very pleased to note that the United Way of America has been granted a request to use portions of our We're Not Gonna Take It video in a program they are producing on the subject of the changing American family. They asked for it because of its, yeah. they asked for it because of its, quote, light-hearted way of talking about communicating with teenagers, unquote. It is gratifying that an organization as respected as the United Way of America appreciates where we're coming from. I've included a copy of the United Way's request as part of my written testimony. Thank you, United Way. Accusation number three. Last Tuesday, a public forum regarding the lyric controversy was held in New York. Among the panelists was Ms. Gore. Trying to stem the virtual tidal wave of anti-rating sentiment coming from the audience, Ms. Gore made the following statement, quote, 
I agree this is a small percentage of all music, thank goodness, but it's becoming more mainstream. You look at even the t-shirts the kids are wearing and you see Twisted Sister and a woman in handcuffs sort of spread-eagled, unquote. This is an outright lie. Not only have we never sold a shirt of this type, we have always taken great pains to steer clear of sexism in our merchandise, records, stage show, and personal lives. Furthermore, we have always promoted the belief that rock and roll should not be sexist, but should cater to males and females equally. I feel that an accusation of this type is irresponsible, damaging to our reputation, and slanderous. I defy Ms. Gore to, Ms. Gore, sorry, to produce such a shirt to back up her claim. I'm tired of running into kids on the street who tell me that they can't play our records anymore because of the misinformation their parents are being fed by the PMRC on TV and in the newspapers. These are the only three accusations I've come across. All three are totally unfounded. Who knows what other false and irresponsible things have been said about me or my band. There happens to be one area where I'm in complete agreement with the PMRC as well as the national PTA and probably most of the parents on this committee. That is, it is my job as a parent to monitor what my children see, hear, and read during their preteen years. The full responsibility for this falls on the shoulders of my wife and I because there is no one else capable of making these judgments for us. Parents can thank the PMRC for reminding them that there is no substitute for parental guidance, but that is where the PMRC's job ends. One other thing, just before we jump into this, when the recording begins, you will hear D&I discussing our mutual friend, Andy Beersack. Andy Beersack is the frontman for Blackfell Brides, one of my best friends. Longtime listeners of this show probably know that I co-wrote Andy's book, which came out uh, in December 2020, called They Don't Need to Understand. D... D... <clears throat> D. Snyder has been a longtime champion of Black Veil Brides and actually performed We're Not Gonna Take It with Black Veil at one of the Revolver Golden Gods Music Awards. We were chatting about Andy right around the time I hit record, and the conversation will begin right there. Remember, you can follow Speaking Destroy on social media. You can support the show on Patreon. You can also support us by leaving a five-star rating and writing a nice review in Apple Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform of choice. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. So here it is, my chat with Dee Snyder for Speak and Destroy, episode 100. This is Speak and Destroy.
I meet many people who, um, who say I inspired them, but sometimes I'm scratching my head going, you weren't really paying much attention to what I was really <laughs> right. saying. And, uh, and, and, the, and the example I was setting, were you? Uh, but uh, Andy, and uh, he needs to thank his father, hashtag Chris, good Indeed. parenting. Uh, he yes. gets it. He gets yes. it and he lives it. And he, uh, and I'm, and you know, and I, I have a big brotherly, uncle pride uh, when in Andy. So, yeah. Oh, oh 100%. And, and yeah, he's uh, one of my favorite people. I love both of his parents, Chris and Amy, um, his wife, of course. And it's funny because, you know, one of the topics today is Metallica. And there were, you know, gossipy news website headlines 10 years ago <laughs> where you had said, Look, I didn't, you know, I watched Metallica and I didn't think they were going to make it. Well, I also. Absolute true. Uh, yeah. I, absolute true. No, and the full statement is watching him in Holland and turning to my bass player. Go, you know, these guys got a lot of heart, but they're never going to go anywhere. Uh, but I but I but I just felt they. I couldn't imagine that something that heavy could ever cross over and become accepted and they did it on their own terms i i i totally have nothing but respect for metallica they didn't give an inch an inch along the way very very impressive yeah one of those things where uh, they didn't go to the mainstream the mainstream came to them that, that's very a, much so very thing. much so i remember you know when we i remember looking at our albums when we were touring together and ours was uh, distributed by wea you know warner brothers electro their distribution block was about this thick and blocked out <laughs> Lars' face. I mean, they had individual deals with every different distribution company all over the world. And that I said, I remember looking on these guys, you know, they've not budged. This is that you want my our record, you know, it's on our terms. So yeah. yeah and, and and I, I bring that up also as a little bridge because uh I you know I also uh, manage a couple of artists. I managed uh, Zeus, the producer who mastered your record. Um, wow, Zeus! Yeah, he's tremendous, tremendous uh, mixer. Yeah, and, and yeah, amazing. Yeah, he, he's working. He's uh, scoring the Munsters movie. Oh no, kidding! He's working with Rob. Good for yeah. him. Yeah. Good for him. But yeah, I was gonna. I'm bringing that up because Andy, and you know, it's a reoccurring. I mean, he's literally Andy's literally someone I talk to every day, and it's a reoccurring joke that I passed on managing Black Veil Brides. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> hey you, you know what I, I can't remember the agency because i don't even know if they exist anymore but they were the biggest uh, talent agency in uh in new york and the head of the agency's name was frank barcelona his name just popped in my head and he had first of all he had passed up barbara streisand because she he says she picked her nose during the interview during the this is before she was famous uh but he also went on to say that if you took all the people that I passed on and put them into one agency, you would have the biggest agency in the world. Not by size, just by talent. Nobody sees it like that moment. You had your Black Veil Brides moment. Yeah. I yeah. had my Metallica moment. Not that yeah. I was offered management, but I was like, no, yeah, no, exactly. yeah, great. Yeah, you know, a lot of heart. They're not going to make it. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's a glass half full optimistically. It's been said to me that if you don't, you know, by nature of doing it long enough and being around long enough, uh, you know, everyone's going to have a handful of those stories of the time they saw Metallica. What they got a lot of heart, but this is, yeah, you know, yeah. This isn't commercial if, if enough. they're honest, if they're being honest, if they're being honest. Yeah. Say, nobody sees it all the time. Nobody sees it all the time. 
Exactly. Um, why? Well, yeah, I have a, a, some bullet points here because I have, uh, in my years of doing this, I've never had the opportunity uh, to chat with you. I've been super excited to do so. And I have a couple of random non sequiturs because they're in my uh, data banks. It's not a problem. I'm really good with non sequiturs. <laughs> so one of them is, and this is, this is, this is a deep cut. I apologize to anyone listening who might roll their eyes at how deep of a cut this is. But one of my favorite movies of all time is Trick or Treat, the 1986 yeah. uh, kind of Freddy Krueger knockoff meets heavy metal. And in that scene, one of my favorite scenes, there's a scene that's uh, Sammy Kerr is, is testifying for Congress and he's wagging his finger and he's like, we will bring you down, man. Eyewitness News was able to obtain footage of Sammy Kerr before a Senate committee inquiry into rock pornography last summer. If you were a parent, would you want your kid growing up around rock music, rock musicians? I mean, with that kind of value? Would you want your kid growing up around politics, politicians, and those values? Mr. Kerr, this what is I'm not- What I'm saying here is you cannot legislate morality. Mr. Kerr, there is no- music, or people's mor minds, or we'll bring you down, man. I have a teenage we daughter. We'll bring you down. Oh yeah, Ozzy was like a senator or something. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Ozzy, Ozzy's a uh, evangelical uh, preacher. Minister, yeah. And Gene Simmons is a radio DJ. Wake up, sleepyheads. It's party time! Yeah, this is the old nooster coming at you right here on this fine, fine Rocktober morning. It's the sweeping sensation that's sweeping the nation, and I'm going to do it to you right here, right now. Wow! In that scene where he's going for Congress and he's wagging his finger and he's championing all of us metalheads. He's doing D Snyder. <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't see any other examples of someone who, who actually did, did anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It would be me. <laughs> so, yeah. So I always wondered, you know, if, and when that crossed your radar and if, and if you, you know, appreciated that as an homage or if it was kind of like, Hey, they, they could have called me to come recreate that or <laughs> <laughs> well i got that call in warning parental advisory which was one of the bizarre moments of my life doing a a, a dramatization of the senate hearings a fictionalized dramatization and bringing me in to play myself wearing the clothes that i wore the day i was there <laughs> walking onto the set i can only describe it as being an actual tyrannosaurus on the set of jurassic park you know it's like he was there during the metalozoic era uh yeah it was really weird and everybody's looking at me and i'm like oh, this is really very weird everybody else is an actor except me and then after yeah. every take everybody felt this need that was that did i do that right was that how Frank would have done it? <laughs> I'm like, you know, everybody just relax. I'm not the, uh, I'm not like, I'm not the guy who's going to tell you, you know, what you're doing right or wrong here. Yeah. Um, I'm just worried about getting through the movie myself. But um, yeah, you know what I mean? You get those homages. I don't think I was in favor at that time, even though I thought that, that actor did a great job. Yeah, he was awesome. Uh, and one of my, my favorite moments, it's just unrelated to that, was just when he just starts pounding his, his, his thigh. Yeah. And he's and hitting it for, so And he hard. just starts singing. Yeah. And he just, with no band, like in defiance. And I've actually sub subsequently done the equivalent where I had a situation where the power went out or something. I just start singing, we're not going to take it. Stomping my foot and the crowd just starts singing with me. You know, like, like awesome. first of all, what is he doing? Yeah. Like, there's no, there's no, nothing. And he's just, I'm just, and the crowd just starts singing. So yeah, I, I got a little inspiration from him. So we're even. I love it. Yeah. And you know, that guy was a solid gold dancer <laughs> no shit. in that movie. So he really committed. You could tell he put in the, the passion and the effort. And this is just me having seen that movie a thousand times, but 
there's like a moment during that same performance where he does like this twirl and you're like, Oh, I see the solid gold dancer. <laughs> it's, it's in there. Um, so another kind of non sequitur that I've, that I've always wanted to ask you about, uh, and this may be an urban myth, but uh, is it true that once upon a time in London in the early eighties, that twisted sister and man of war were going to rumble and man of war didn't show up. Well, it, it is well, that's part true. I was actually uh, Man of War, Hanoi Rocks, and Twisted Sister. We called out both bands wow. uh, for a rumble. We were there. Neither of them showed up. Wow. Um, yeah, um, I, it was a particularly dark time between the for me between the secret record deal and uh, signing with Atlantic Records, and we were really struggling. We were home. We were broke. We had lost our deal. We didn't know what the next step was going to be. I had a baby. Uh, uh, so uh, and when, when Hanoi Rocks and Man of War talk shit about Twisted Sister and Kerrang! or Sounds, mm. I wrote a letter to the magazine calling them out for a fight. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> and both bands. So um, Man of War said, yes, we will have a battle of the bands to see who the greater band is. Yeah. And I, in, 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 in a subsequent interview, now it's become a thing. I said, no, 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 no. This is not, not a battle of the bands. My fist, your face. Yes. Yes. So, so I mean, we were, you know. Hey, Twisted Sister might wear makeup, but you're, you guys are from the streets. You're a gang, yeah. dude. So, and we I were don't a know gang. what Michael Monroe's going to do. with. <laughs> so neither apologized. So we announced we were meeting them at Covent Garden at high noon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and actually, and we and and the media came, and tons of fans came, and I had a uh, this is before come out and play, and I was a big Warriors fan. I had what they called a loud hailer, a bull bullhorn, and I was walking around going, "Hanoi Rocks, come <laughs> out and play," and then I'd look in a garbage can, and go, "Man of War, come out and play," and uh, needless to say, they were smarter than that. Um, Lemmy was there with us. He came along for the, for the, for the, yeah, Lemmy was there, a big Twisted supporter, and he pronounced them man a wimp. That was, that was Lemmy, Lemmy's thing. Amazing. And Short I would, I would say they lost by forfeit. So so the pre well, the press, yeah, but the press said, so is that it? You lost. I said, oh no, <laughs> we're going to go to their concert and pull them off a of stage. I'm going to go on the stage and in front of their fucking audience, I'm going to, pull them down and I'll beat them fucking silly right in front of their own people. <laughs> I said, it's not over. Well, after that, after that, uh, we got a, a published letter from Hanoi rocks. We are the flower children of rock and roll. We want no problems. I'm like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. And, and then man of war because they were man of war to tell a secret. Uh, Ross, the boss who was in a band with Mark, the animal Mendoza called the dictators mm -hmm. sent Mark, a letter saying dude we can't apologize we're man of war <laughs> it's like <laughs> so, wrestling you can know? you please yeah. stop this can we just stop this and and mendoza said all right um we'll let it go you shut your mouths we'll let it go uh because we're friends but if any shit happens again i'm going to give this letter to Kerrang! magazine to publish <laughs> so uh and that was the end of that and i've run into uh, Ross and Joey uh, since then and you know it, hey look I'm uh, now looking back on it I was a freaking idiot I mean I was like people called us and said we played wet t-shirt contest I was like take it back 
fuck? You know, I mean, I was like all, but I, you know, I was going, I was going through a lot, man. I was going, I mean, through a lot. It, you know, and like you said, with the influence, uh, you know, a couple decades later, that was Andy Biersack and Kerrang. <laughs> There you go. Every well, man talking smack on them and him going. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it, it, it's such it, it's such bu bullshit and twisted have been through it. So I feel uh, uh, Black Veil Bride's pain in that regard. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so when you mentioned uh, the idea of actually going to the Manowar show, show and pulling them off stage, it reminds me of another great East Coast story. I remember heard the story with KRS One and PM Dawn, but PM Dawn had that. Uh, memory lane song or whatever they had a hit they were kind of these hippie rappers or whatever and they did an interview in, in like the source or some big rap magazine where uh the the interviewer asked something like like so pm dawn people say like you're not true hip-hop like you're you're too pop and you're whatever and, and one of the guys from pm dawn said yeah you know all these people who say who are like the gatekeepers who who try to you know sit on their high horse about what what's true hip-hop or whatever he's like like KRS-One, for example, you know, he calls himself the teacher. And my question is, a, a teacher of what? So KRS-One went to a PM Dawn show <laughs> after that interview was published, got on stage, grabbed the dude and threw him off the stage. <laughs> and there's a, great, there's a great, if you Google, there's a great cartoon illustration that a magazine did uh, like years later of Karis One throwing the dude from PM Donna. And then my favorite part about that story gives me goosebumps is that when Karis One was asked about it, like, what happened? What you went and you did that and you did that. And he goes, he goes, well, they asked a question. They asked me, you know, I'm the teacher. I'm the teacher of what? I'm a teacher of respect. <laughs> nice. I had another incident where uh, this band, Mr. Mister. Yeah, I remember uh, that. Was, uh, they, uh, was, before they were famous, they did backing vocals. They were hired to do, unbeknownst to me, they were just, they were session yeah, yeah. singers on Stay Hungry. Uh, Tom Worman felt like having a different voice instead of mine doing harmonies, that it would make it sound more, you know, uh, make it pop. Whether, whether it's that's it's actually a, a technical fact it does but they start talking shit about us uh devil worshiping and stuff like that so i knew they were coming to the howard stern show and i was good friends with howard stern so he i was waiting outside in my car at six in the morning for them to arrive and they went in <laughs> howard like prompted him says so what was the stuff about twisted sister you and they just went off and i came bursting into the freaking room that was an interesting moment. Yeah, D. Snyder, like the Kool-Aid man. Just, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> here he comes. Like, you're talking shit. And there he guy walks in mad as, mad as hell, freaking <laughs> the fuck out. Oh, that is so great. Um, so, yeah. So I wanted to talk to you about, obviously, Metallica. This The the theme of this podcast is basically I'm 100 episodes deep now. I started it four years ago. Um, our mutual friend who I've known since the 90s, Jamie Josta. He was one of my first guests. It really Metallica comes up in conversation all of the time and you know whether I'm bringing them up or someone else is bringing them up and I just thought well, hey where do you want to eat tonight Metallica exactly oh where you brought that up okay <laughs> exactly uh so I thought yeah why not have conversations with people who have been directly associated loosely associated influenced by influences on and you know I know uh there was the show where they were the opener for you in New Jersey um 
Yeah, yeah. Johnny yeah. Z put them on or something. Um, yes, Johnny Z. Yes, he, he is early, early on. They just come to the East Coast. So I believe Dave may have been with them at that time. I, was he, do you know, you follow them. Was he, yeah. uh, the first games that Johnny moved into Johnny's house? Was Dave still there? I think he was. I mean, I could be wrong. I he, didn't see yeah, that. Yeah, his, his last shows with them were on the East Coast. Um, yeah. So, uh, and, uh, you know, and yeah, I had no idea. Uh, I was too busy putting on my lipstick uh, <laughs> to watch the opening, some opening band that nobody ever heard of, but you could see the yeah. advertisements were around. Um, I forgot the name of the place. Uh, and we had uh, F- Fountain Casino. Fountain Casino. And, you know, and we would play for two, three, sometimes 4,000 people there. So th- it was a huge, huge crowd. And I didn't, it wasn't until we toured with them in, um, in Europe where they said, dude, we opened for you one of our first shows on the East Coast. And I was like, ah, yeah, I missed, I missed history, apparently. Uh, but because uh, I was too busy putting on my lipstick. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that was the first time. But then, then we toured with them. Yeah, and that, okay, yeah. So I, I just looked to double check. So that was the December 83, uh, December 30th, 83. Uh, it's funny, my, my daughter's birthday is December 30th, but much later than 1983. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so that, so 83, December, that would have been uh, Kirk in the band, but not too long after. I mean, that's okay. still, uh, you know. So they had made the change. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they were, they played the song Ride the Lightning, apparently, but every other song was from Kill Em All. I, say, I just watched, uh, I watched the documentary, is it called Murder in the Front Row? Yes, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, love, love, love the doc. And it also, I didn't see that, that was ha- scene was happening out there in the Bay area while we had our own scene happening in the Northeast, you know, the, the twisted scene, Bon Jovi coming out of this Cinderella poison. That's, you know, kicks all those bands that were inspired by twisted for, for but also overkill anthrax yeah. um, those bands, a carnivore, they'll tell you straight out. Twisted Sister fans to the core and vast inspiration to play fast. I was playing fast because I was drinking so much coffee in those days. I was out of my mind. Uh, but apparently they, I saw a quote from Rat Skates in a documentary said, Twisted Sister played fast, so we played fast. So you're welcome. Yeah. Uh, but I was very curious to understand what the scene, the hardcore scene in the Bay Area, and very impressed how much Kirk Hammett is responsible. Yes. Yes, responsible. And yeah. I went on social media, said it. And just you just did. I mean, he taught so many people. He brought so many people along. He shared what he knew. His his passion for the heavier music, and you know, and it's just amazing uh, to to see how influ- how much how important he was to that scene coming happening. Yeah, amen. And I I had Gary Holt on the podcast, and he was saying that yeah, Kirk not only brought him into Exodus, but literally taught him how to play guitar, taught him his first chords. He said that to this day, you know, he's getting on stage with Slayer or Exodus. The way he holds his pick is the way Kirk showed him how to hold a guitar pick still, you know, and it's just like, that's huge. You know, it, it was amazing to see. And I just, I, I, they focused on it, but I didn't think he got enough respect and appreciation because I mean, that is the birthplace of, so much important music absolutely you know? uh and absolutely. and and look what i'm doing today with uh for the love of metal and leave a scar mm-hmm. is directly from there you know i mean i love i love 
always loved more heavy music, but I was also a glitter rock fan. So Twisted was a glitter band inspired by the dolls. I was like, great. So I came into Twisted and, you know, and brought my love of metal along with my love for Bowie and Alice Cooper. And yeah. that's the outgrowth. But when you hear songs like Burning Hell or Under the Blade or things like that, and I mean, these are as aggressive as anything that was coming out of the Bay Area uh, at that time. Um, you could see that I'm a fan of that heavier stuff. But for me to come back with Jamie Josta, that door was open wide thanks to Metallica and, and the uh, whole Bay Area scene. Yeah, for real. A clear line through that. You mentioned Burning Hell, and I, just, I was in Burbank just last night. And uh, you know, I've lived in, in California for 20 years now. And still, every time I've been to the Warner lot for some reason, or I've driven by the Warner lot, every time I'm like, Twisted <laughs> sisters here. On top hey, you of know, limo. <laughs> credit where credit's due. When Pee Wee called me up and said, "Hey, you want to do a cameo in a movie?" We had met at a uh, MTV New Year's party, and we were both fans of each other's work. And I said, "Yeah." He said, "The idea is you guys are going to be doing a vit rock video, and I come crashing through." And I said, "So what? Like, when are I going to take it? I want to rock, you know?" He goes, "No, burning hell." I'm like, "Pee Wee, yeah, <laughs> wait a minute, all right." Pee Wee chose burning hell. He, he really, I mean, and burning hell over time has become one of the preeminent tracks from Twisted Sisters uh, and, and, you know, with, with Demu doing it. And yeah. uh, I think Cradle has done it yeah. and, you know, uh, and, and the respect it has in the metal community, people don't even know it's our song, I think, but it really started with Pee Wee planting that seed. Amazing. I mean, that's my immediate association. I can't hear that song without picturing that scene, you know, and vice versa. I can't think about that scene without thinking about that song. Yeah, for, for a while there, I was I was like, hey, you're that guy in the Pee Wee movie from, <laughs> from Very Little Children on the playground with my son, you know. <laughs> to go back to your earlier point about Kirk and that documentary, um, I love that documentary of Friends with a couple of guys who did it, actually. And I think, <clears throat> you know, from the, incorrectly so, from the historical overview, James and Lars are such big personalities and so creative and songwriters and all of that that they are often the center of Metallica-centric, you know, reporting. And then, of course, going all the way back to, I think, you know, one could argue that, that Hetfield and Dave Mustaine invented a style of guitar playing that has, you know, continued. You know. Probably more Mustaine. I mean, James couldn't even play guitar in the beginning. Yeah, and he but didn't he, play he, guitar at the first couple of shows. Yeah, he <laughs> fronted. Yeah. He fronted and... uh and, you know, so, I mean, I mean, really credit where credit's due and I'm not taking anything away from James and, of course. and the ground he's broken and the whole band has, but uh, I would say that was more from a stain even. And because uh, yeah. James was learning guitar. And at those really early shows, uh, Mustaine did all the talking because James, Must James was shy. Yeah. So and I, to read and I, to read, and I didn't until I went back and listened to the first EP that one of James's major influences was Vince Neil from Motley Crue. <laughs> you know that? Vocal. Will you listen listen now that you've heard that? Yeah. Listen, they were from LA. Listen to the to the, uh, the his vocal style on that first EP. It is way more little more nasally, a little more less, yeah, a little less down there, a little more up there. And hey, you know, everybody's got their influences. I, I, you know, I just had George Corpse Grinder Fisher uh, duet with me on a song, and I found out. I mean, I, I just thought it would be. I, I, I respect and appreciate the entire community. I thought it would be a great addition, and um, 
you know, when Jamie Jossa couldn't believe I was, I said, when I said, George Fisher, he goes, corpse grinder George Fisher like I must know another George Fisher who's a singer because not it couldn't mean corpse grinder you're, you're, but, like, you're like George Fisher the old bass player from T-Rex oh. yeah exactly exactly yeah he uh but but it turns out that George is a huge Twisted Sister fan and you wouldn't necessarily think in hearing his voice the yeah but style, surprise me but, yeah. but so you never know where inspiration comes from uh you know I know I gotta I gotta wrap up I want to tell in the last couple minutes I want to tell you a story you haven't asked me to tell, but maybe you were going to, because there was a show in Holland. The Flyer, that, that right? Metallica, yes. Okay. Metallica cites as like a turning point for them. I know in there they've reflected it as a turning point. And I can't remember the name of the town, but we, it was Twisted and Metallica, 1984. Metallica opening for Twisted Sister. And we pull into this town, and there's the posters everywhere are the giant, like, troll head i guess that we could describe it as the mm -hmm. metallica kind of i don't know if they used it everywhere but that's what they were using on this tour and it said twisted sister i mean it could have been a on a giant poster it must have been like a 12 font uh and and it says and metallica with a logo and everything like that so <laughs> i was like holy crap this, this is metallica town so I told my, we're not one of those bands that, you know, we're taking your stage space. We're taking the lights. We're taking, yeah. the, you know, and down the decibels. You yeah. Know. And we're not just taking the headline slot because we were, that was a tour. Clearly this was their town. So I told my tour manager, I said, go tell, tell guys they can, go, they can close tonight. We'll go on before. And my road manager came back and said, um, they said no. And I said, what do you mean? No, <laughs> we're giving them the headline slot. Um, you know, and, and the audience is there. He goes, well, it seemed like they were suspicious. Like, what are you up to? Like, who does that? Yeah. Like, who who does that? And I had to literally go in the room and say, guys, no trick up our sleeve. Not fucking with you. Nothing at all. It's just clear. Look at the posters. Look at the audience. Listen to them. Screaming Metallica. You know, I said, clearly, you're the, you're the headliner. So they closed that night. And that was the night I got because they closed. I got to not be putting on my lipstick and makeup. Right. I got to watch them and make the great pronouncements. My bass player, these guys got a lot of heart, but they're never going to go anywhere. But Seek and Destroy became my favorite song of theirs that night too. watching them play it. Well, and you know what's uh, interesting is they have a very meticulous uh, history of every show they've ever played with the set lists and everything. Um, yeah, and apparently that was Zwag Westend Netherlands. <laughs> Z-W-A-A-G. If you say so. Yeah, it was exactly. someplace, in, someplace in Holland. But um, it says, uh, and we can fact check this right now, it says that you came out and did Metal Militia with them. during. Yes, Metal. I did. I did. I've never seen so, you talk about that. <laughs> I, I, I forgot. I only recently saw that somebody by said, hey man, I sang Metal Militia and, and I, I'm the one, I, I figured out how to squeeze the word motherfucking into between metal and up your ass. So I had the people, they, they were doing metal up your ass, you know? Yeah, and I yeah. said, uh, motherfucking nose, I said, motherfucking metal up your ass. Come on, motherfucking metal up. So uh, I got the crowd adding motherfucking to it, which is um, D fucking Snyder. It's what I do. Yeah, indeed. Uh, that's fucking great. And that's a tradition that then continued because then, yeah, later Jason Newstead added the uh, motherfucker to creeping death to the die, die, change <laughs> to the die, motherfucker, die. Uh, there you go. Great. Well, you're welcome. And, so uh, and I said in the beginning, I say in the end, uh, there's no band I more respect for 
for uh, you know, and, and I put AC, ACDC in that realm as well. There's a band that did it on their own terms and made people accept them as they were not change to get people to accept them and, uh, and, and will always have that respect and, and defend their right to enjoy all their money and all their cars and all their wealth and all their success. They, get, they, they earned it the hard way. Absolutely. Well, D, you, my friend, are an icon and a legend. It's been a, a real, real pleasure to have you come on here. I very much appreciate the time and all of that. And uh, cheers. And can't wait to see what unfolds with uh, the solo stuff going forward. And everybody, please check out uh, Leave a Scar. I promise you, if you're a Metallica fan, you're going to feel real good about this record. And, uh, and I actually filmed, although you're having a live stream event coming up, uh, look for announcements on that. Uh, it's going to be available on, on platforms all over the place through all the big festivals around the world. Uh, they're all going to be airing it on the 30th. It comes, the album comes out the 30th on Napalm Records. I think we're airing on the 29th. I love it. that Jamie Josta D Snyder uh, duo partnership on these records. Is, I mean, it's yeah. He helped. He's helped me find my place, find my voice. I love Jamie, and I'm I'm grateful that he came into my life and challenged me to do this because I wanted to be a part of the community. I felt, but but I'm a fan of it. I just couldn't figure out how where I fit and what my place was. And thanks to Jamie Josta, I think I found my place. And uh, so I hope people, I hope others agree. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much, D. Have Take a good care, rest of man. Bye bye.